Are you thankful that we live in America? Yeah. Even in the times that America is in right now, this is still the greatest nation on earth. And I'm so thankful that we are here. I'm so thankful for those that have served to defend this country and for our veterans and for those that are in leadership. Pray for that leadership, don't we? may not agree with everything, but we pray for our leaders. We pray for that because we are in a country worth defending. And, uh, you know, the reason that we have a, good co- big, uh, a great country is not because of what our country does for us. It's for what this country does for the world. You know, this, this world has been evangelized through America. And um, I thank the Lord for that because now we're in a state where we need to be evangelized by those that we've evangelized. And it is amazing how there are countries that are on fire for Jesus, maybe more than we are, and they're sending missionaries back here. And that's a good thing. I mean, it's sad for us, but I'm glad that people are around the world that are remembering America because we are in a state of need and that we are broken and that uh, the Lord will restore if we're willing to allow him to. So anyway, I'm thankful for America. I'm thankful that we live where we do, that we have the blessings that we have. So today I want to finish up our study on the book of Jude. We were going to do that last week, and then we got interrupted by the Holy Spirit, and we never got to the point. But uh, I appreciate that. I really do appreciate the fact the Holy Spirit feels he has the ability to interrupt us. And uh, we will allow him to do any time he wants to. So today, as we finish up our study on the book of Jude, I've titled the message, The Greatest Doxology of All, because by the time we get to the end of this message today, we're going we're gonna to read the doxology that Jude has given, and it's pretty amazing, given the fact of everything that he's spoken about in this short book, uh, that it could be appearing as just a hard book but, and no, show no grace and love of God, but Jude at the end gives us great assurance of how much Jesus loves us. And uh, so with that said, but as we finish, I want to go back and just kind of review some of the past messages we've had, some of the highlights of where we've been. And um, hopefully that that will help us to maybe seal or put a, a cap on this, on this study that w- we can remember all the good things that Jude has taught us. Because I We've taught through other books in the Bible, but man, this was a short one. But boy, I tell you, this was an impactful book for me. I really appreciated everything that Jude had to say. And the warnings that he gives us of how to live in the world that we're living in, um, being uh, aware and warned of the false narratives, the false teachers, the false prophecies that were happening in his day and even more so today. And he gives us great hope and all that. And uh, so to begin with, I, I have to go back, and I think the reason that I enjoyed this book so much and I really appreciate Jude is the way he introduced himself. Remember, Jude was a brother of Jesus, though he never claimed that. He said that from the very beginning when he opened up the book. He says, I am a brother of James and a servant of Jesus Christ. A brother of James and a servant of Christ. Now, we can read between the lines there and know that for him to say that he's a brother of James, as James was a brother of Jesus, that would make Jude also a brother of Jesus. But Jude never played the Jesus card. 
He never went there with his people. He never went there to say, listen to me because I know Jesus personally because I was his brother. Rather, what he did is that he used a more relevant way for us today, for sure, and even for him, he used his relationship with Jesus as Jesus was his savior, not his brother. And because of that, that humility that Jude brought, it gives me great reason to continue on and listen to what he has to say. Because he's, he's bringing his authority through the power of the Holy Spirit that he has through the shed blood of Jesus Christ as the resurrected Savior. That is the same way that you and I have authority. Not because we have a head knowledge, a religion of who Jesus is, but we have a relationship with him. And that is the key to all of our life is the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus that gives you, Rip, the ability to pray as you did on Wednesday with that person or you, Julie, today as you go to your home and where you're going to share the gospel because we have the relationship with Jesus that we can share what we have, not what we know. Big difference, isn't there? So I love that fact that he's making that a very relevant part of his message and that gives then living for Jesus, a joy and not a burden. That he wants us to know that it's, that it's a joyful relationship that we have, not a burdensome, knowledge-based religion. Because religion can become very heavy, can it? And the joy of relationship can be very bright and very happy and very joyful and very peace-giving. So that's where he started. The theme of his messages of this message is to encourage the readers to contend for the faith, which means to fight for the faith. And this is pretty common in all of New Testament writings, that in some way or another that the writers were dealing with false prophets of the day, any man, any woman, any entity that would come to twist and distort the word of God. And the enemy began that a long time ago. Obviously, that was his plan from the very beginning, to take what God has loved, which is people, and destroy them. That's what his intent was with Adam and Eve from the very beginning, was to destroy. And we recognize that as much as God loves people, the enemy hates people. The enemy wants to destroy, but yet Jesus comes to defeat the enemy. And we have that, and, and we're assured that as we are warned through this. So Peter, I'm sorry, Peter, why did I say Peter? Jude, why did I say that? Jude comes with two major purposes. His, his two major purposes were, number one, to warn, to warn believers about the serious threat of the false teachers of the day. So he was going to warn people of that. And, he, and, and, and he not only is he warning the people, but he's really given warning to the false teachers if they would listen that God's judgment is coming and God's judgment is going to be very harsh on those that would distort or twist any version of distorting or twisting or compromising the word of God. And that is for us today as well. That's for me as I'm standing here right now that I would do my very best to speak the truth of God's word without my compromise. 
without my spinning of it. Boy, we live in a world of spinning news, don't we? Fake news, we spin everything. And man, when we start spinning God's gospel, watch out, because that's not something that God is pleased with. So every preacher, teacher, leader, father, mother, everybody that is proclaiming the gospel, man, make sure that we're doing the best we can to teach it and preach it just the way God has given it. And then he's also challenging the, two, the true followers, that's you and I, that we're to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. That means we're going to have to fight for it. It means it's not going to be a popular message. It means we're going to have to work hard to, first of all, understand the truth the best we can, and then secondly, to stand up for it and not be, sh- not be afraid, not be ashamed, not be embarrassed over the gospel message. With that, Jude also assures us that we can have mercy, peace, and love in abundance. I love that part. He started off, that was in verse 2, that we could have mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now, abundance is not just a little bit. Abundance says in abundance. And abundance is all-encompassing. And when we can have mercy and love and peace, man, that is something the world is really longing after. We spoke about the peace that Jude's talking about only comes through a relationship with Jesus. Only comes when we are striving to know the personhood of who Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we said that peace is only possible, it's in, peace is available in the middle of the storm, is possible only if one has relationship with he who is greater than the storm. I mean, I, I can't, I'm not going to get peace from somebody that is under the influence of the storm. If he's under the influence of the storm, then he's in the same boat I'm in. But when I, I can have peace with Jesus, who is greater than the storm, right? And that's where you and I can get our peace. In fact, he even, we can say it even more emphatically that it's impossible to have peace outside of having a growing relationship with God. And I think the key word is growing. We can have a relationship with God, but if we're not growing that relationship, it can very quickly and subtly slide back into a religion of God. And if I have religion of God, there's no peace in religion. There's no peace when it's just a head knowledge. My peace comes when I have a relationship with the creator of the peace. And that's where it comes from. And that's how Jude can give us an assurance that mercy and peace and love are ours in abundance because the peace giver is coming to restore relationships with us. Contending for the faith, so important. Jude wrote this. He says that it's urgent and it's an urgent imperative for Christians to wage war against error in all forms and fight strenuously for the truth like a soldier who has been entrusted with a sacred task of guarding a holy treasure. I mean, we have something that is so precious, something that the world cannot have because it doesn't come from the world. It comes only through a relationship with Christ. And in our contending for it, we have to protect it. Then we also talked about the fact is that 
um, we have to be careful that we don't add or take away from the message. We spent a couple different Sundays talking about each one of these. The, the danger of adding to the gospel is getting into the form of legalism. And that's a negative thing, by the way. Just so you know, I, I know that we can come out of a world of legalism. I came out of a world of legalism, I think, that, and I think it's probably a very common mistake that we can have because we can start adding our rules and our list of regulations onto the gospel so that people have to look like us. Before I can really trust a person to be a Christian, I have, they have to look like me. And that's a problem, isn't it? Because I'm not Christ. And so why do I have to re put that kind of burden on them to look like me before I can accept them as a follower of Christ? That would be adding to the gospel. That person can be, we can become very legalistic and be very religious and yet be totally spiritually lost. We can look the part, can't we? We can act the part, we can talk the part, but yet we can be very, very lost if we're not keeping our relationship with Jesus pure and holy. And this does come into a form that there's nothing wrong with having rules. Okay, so we have to keep that balance that adding to the gospel is not just making up a list of rules, but uh, adding to the gospel is saying that unless you keep the rules the way I keep the rules, you're not saved. That's pharisaical. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. And we can be just as guilty if we're not careful. But that doesn't mean that rules are bad. It doesn't mean that when we read God's word and he says, if you love me, you'll obey me, that's not a hard teaching that is simply recognizing that we're going to do what Jesus asks us to do because he deserves to be listened to. He deserves to be obeyed. And it's my honor, it's my privilege, it's my joy then to listen to the word of God and to do the things that would please him. Does that make sense? I mean, is, doesn't that just, that, that's where joy comes from. That's where the freedom comes from. That's where... The burden falls away and it's replaced by a sense of accomplishment, of joy, of just love. And love is just one of those great things that peace is, flows out of peace. It flows out. Peace flows out of love like that. So there's nothing wrong with having rules. Now the other side of that is subtracting from the gospel message. And that would be a form of liberalism. And probably in today's world, that's probably a more common threat than the world of legalism. Legalism maybe had its day, um, but I think liberalism now is probably a bigger threat to the kingdom and to those that are trying to be a follower of Christ because they're fighting the world that says, well, once you're saved, always saved. Now live the way you want to live, and God's grace is sufficient to forgive every and every, every sin, the ones you've already created and the ones you're going to create. <laughs> because that is a common error and the danger is that we can slip into that very easily and there's been many mainline denominations that are treading that water and they're on that fine line where people can have a form of godliness but deny the power we can look really good on the outside but we never really get past it 
We never get past that form of religion. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about this and uh, to his writing, to his letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 5. It says that these people, he said, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Now, that's interesting that Paul would say, stay away from people like that. I, I think what he's trying to say is, be careful who feeds into your life. Be careful who you allow to influence you in your level of beliefs or unbeliefs. Because there will be many people that will act religious, but they won't have the power of God's grace that not only forgives, but the power of God's grace brings an element of change into our life. Amen? It's that element of change that says, I don't want to repeat the same mistakes that I've made all my life. I want to change. I want to be more like Christ and less like me. So Paul warns Timothy, he says, stay away from people that don't exhibit that kind of grace. Be careful that you don't let the kind of grace sneak into your life that says, no, grace in, in, and abuse of God's grace says I can do whatever I want to do and still be under relationship with Jesus. That's a false teaching. That's not biblical. The Bible doesn't say that God's grace allows you to sin more. God's grace says, no, I will change you so you sin less, so that you don't want to sin anymore. That's the grace that we want to, observe, uh, we want to allow into our lives. So Paul's warning to Timothy is, is not that we're to be um, set apart to the point that we're afraid of being around worldly people. No, that's not the point at all. We can have every confidence to be around worldly people, but just don't let them influence us. Make sure we're influencing them with the grace of Jesus Christ. And then Paul also talked in the, second, or the, in the next chapter in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he talked about the itching ears that was, gonna, that was going to come in the last days. And I think that we truly are. I believe fully that we are truly in the last days. And more and more proof of this is coming that this passage right here is coming to bear. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, the Living Bible translation says, For there is going to come a time when people won't listen to the truth, but will go around looking for teachers who will tell them just what they want to hear. They won't listen to what the Bible says, but will blithely follow their own misguided ideas. Dangerous. Dangerous times in the end days because that leads to an abuse of the grace of God. And that's what, we were, that's what we've been talking about. We're, we're living in the era of grace, but that doesn't mean that I can do whatever feels good to me. We can't do just because I want to, and therefore I, my want to's can overcome the consequences of my actions. Remember, we have the power to choose, right? The power to choice, the power to choose what you do is yours. And it's mine. But the consequences that come from the choices are out of my control and out of your control. Either the reward or the consequence are out of our control. God is the rewarder of all things. 
And God is also the judge of all things. And so my choice to either walk in, in obedience to him will either give me the great rewards that he's holding in store for me in heaven or it will bring me great condemnation of the eternal punishment in hell all based upon my choice today. And I think the problem, ha the problem comes when people says I can control my choices and I can also control the consequences. <laughs> I, I can't control my consequences, but I can only control my choices. That we need to live holy and we need to live righteously before the Lord. Jesus modeled how we can do that. And we also then talked about the lessons of history that can lead to either um, disobedient history leading to death and destruction or being obedient to God leading to eternal life and to eternal relationship with God. And here's the takeaway from, from that message that we gave in that particular Sunday. And this is so important for us. Because it's not how one starts, it's how one finishes that's important to God and to your eternal destination. Because we've all made mistakes, and we all continue to make mistakes. But it's never too late to start over with God. His forgiveness covers over all of our sins and all of our failures. We just need to recognize where we're at. We need to recognize where we've been. And we need to know that once it's forgiven, it's forgiven. I don't need to go back and try to relive that sin. I don't need to go back and try to beat myself up over it, trying to think that I'm going to make it better. No, once Jesus forgives you, he forgives you. And who am I to go back and resurrect it? It's not my responsibility, not my, not my job, and I shouldn't put it on you either. You're forgiven. Let it go. Slip by it. Move on. Learn from it. But don't go back and repeat it. And don't go feeling like you have to be filled guilty over again. Because, you know, living by our feelings is very, very dangerous. When I was a younger person, I had my pilot's license. And one of the things that our instructors um, drilled into our mind, I mean literally drilled it in that if we ever got into a situation where we lost our horizon, our, our ability to see the horizon, if we got into the clouds or anything where we couldn't see around us, we have to trust our instruments. There are instruments in an airplane that will tell us our attitude and our, and our altitude, and no matter what we feel like, we must trust the instruments because it's so easy for vertigo to set in when you, when you lose your horizon. Literally, I, I mean, we're trained how to do this. And you can, they would put a, a, a hood over you so that you couldn't see outside. All you could see is instruments. And then the instructor would get the airplane in, a, in an attitude or a position of climbing or turning or whatever. And he would, he would do it for a few minutes where you lost your bearings, you lost your, your inner ear. And then he would say, okay, recover the airplane. And you may be in a climb or a dive or a turn, and your body feels like you're going straight and level, where in reality, you could be going to the left and diving. And if you don't trust your instruments, you will crash. You will die. And that's the same thing with the spiritual world. We must not base our life on our feelings, because we lose our horizon way too quickly, and we must come back to the instruments of God's word and trust God's word and put away, put away the feelings of life. That doesn't say that emotions are bad. 
I mean, God is an emotional God. He created all of our emotions. When we have an experience like we had last Sunday with the Holy Spirit here, emotions are touched. And even this morning, emotions are touched, and they're supposed to be touched. It's like if I, were, if I was to stick my finger in a 120-volt outlet, I can't see the electricity, but I'm going to feel it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to react to that. Believe me, I'm going to jump. I don't care how tough you are. You're, you touch electricity, 120 volts, you're going to jump. Well, okay. That's kind of like touching the Holy Spirit. When the creator of the world that could create the world with a spoken world, when he just touches you with a little finger, believe me, you're going to feel something. And you're going to jump a little bit. There's nothing wrong with emotions. But here's the problem, though. Sometimes we come off mountaintop experience like, like that, and we go down to the valley of living with people, living into the real world we're at. The emotions wear off, and then we're left with a feeling of, well, where am I at with God now? That's why you need to go back to the Bible. That's why you need to go back to God's Word, because He says, I'm with you always. And in all things, I'm with you. No matter what's happening around you, I'm with you always. And he even says that in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. But that doesn't mean that I'm not with you. A few weeks ago, um, Vicki shared about when things are hard. Hard is not bad. Hard is just hard. It's just hard. But that doesn't mean that God's not with us in the hard times. No, he is. And he just wants you to trust him more in the hard times. So let's not live by our feelings. Rather, let's put our faith into action. Our faith that comes from hearing the word of God and then listening to that and applying that. And let's just see what God does. Let's see what he does when we engage our faith versus our feelings. You know, there's a, a word, in the, word in, the, in the Bible where he says there's a sacrifice of praise. That doesn't seem like those words should go together, does it? Sacrifice and praise. But, you know, sometimes we have to, it, it, it seems like a sacrifice to praise, doesn't it? Sometimes it's difficult because we're in the hard times. But when we bring our sacrifice of praise to the Lord, he honors that. Maybe even a little bit more than when it's easy. Maybe in the difficult times when you're all by yourself and maybe you feel like you're alone. You know, when you could just start to sing a song. Sing a song and let the Lord just show up in your difficult times. And, you, and, and here's the thing. He knows it's hard for you. He knows that it's hard. So when he sees you putting the effort into praise in the difficult times, I think that really motivates him because you're doing it when it is hard. You're doing it when it's not easy. The easy things in life come and go way too quickly, don't they? Sometimes you need to dig deep. That's why Jude said we had to contend for the faith. We had to fight for the faith. We had to fight for the truth and don't give up. So that's where we kind of are at today as we're finishing up the chapter. We're in Jude chapter 20 and 25, and here's the text for today. Jude 20 through 25, it says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit... Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, 
hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Here's the doxology part. And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So I started in verse 20, even though we'd already talked about verse 20. I started there because we needed to read that and, and be prepared to build ourselves up in the most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit and keeping ourselves in God's love so that we could do what is following. We would never be able to be merciful to those who doubt if we didn't have a good relationship with Jesus for ourselves. Because Jude says that we are to save others by snatching them from the fire. That we're to show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The New Living Translation says this passage this way. Verse 22, it says, And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. That we're to rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. What does this mean? What does this look like? Who are these doubters or these ones wavering? These are most of the time the people that we run, run across every day. We are running across people, the doubters, the, the ones that are waving, that have just enough maybe biblical knowledge and some belief, but they're skeptical and doubtful and they really don't know what to believe. How many of us know people like that? How many of us sometimes, it's even ourselves. <laughs> let's be honest. I mean, let's, let's, I'm glad he says be merciful to those people because I'm talking about being merciful to myself sometimes. How do we handle people like this? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says, don't think of these people, don't think of him or these people as an enemy, but speak to him who, as you would to a brother who needs to be warned. See, these people, they may have had at one time a relationship with Christ. Maybe they were part of the church, but maybe something happened. Maybe they got hurt. Maybe somebody offended them. Maybe the enemy was able to deceive them. So they're in this middle ground of really knowing better. They, they don't need to be told how bad they are because they already know. They just need somebody to come and walk beside them and say, can I help you? Can I lift you up a little bit here or a little bit there? And I think it's so important because how we react to these people can be the tipping point in their lives. We can either hurt them more by being too stern, maybe, piling on, being intolerant with their doubts and their wavering, and we can even worse push them away because they don't look like us. They don't look like me enough, so I'm going to tell you how to look like me. I'm so guilty of that. Come on, 
Lord, help me. Forgive me. Maybe you are too. I hope you are because I don't want to be the only one guilty here. (laughs) So we can be too stern possibly. Even we can be so right we're wrong sometimes. Can you believe that? We can be speaking the truth and be so right in it and just be so right on and maybe our attitudes are, I mean, we're right on, but Lord, help us that we can't show love in that. That's mercy. That's where we need to have mercy. Or maybe we can ignore them altogether and not show them any concern and give them a sense that we don't care about them, that we've given up on them. Boy, I know people like that too. I run across people like that too that I I see on a regular basis in this town that they are in a tough spot, and they know they're in a tough spot. You know what? And I can just be very easily, I can just look past them and say, I, you're not worth my time because you're so far gone. I, I'm not even going to waste my time on you. You know what I'm talking about? Those are the people that need you to stop and talk to them. Show them a little bit of time. Show them a little bit of care that you're willing to talk to them and you don't need to tell them how bad they are because they already know for the fact that you're even willing to talk to them, sometimes that's a big deal because many other people just look past them too. Or else we can maybe be too accepting of their doubts, too accepting of their waverings, and we give in and we compromise along with them because we don't want to share the truth with them because we don't want to be different. So we compromise. You know, the thing, the, the greatest example that I see here that, that shows me how we need to be able to reach down and help people but never get dirty with them is the story of Jesus walking on the water. On the stormy night, he walks out to the water and the disciples are in the boat and Peter sees him and he said, if it's you, if it's you Jesus, call me out and let me come to you. And so Peter gets out of the boat, one of the, the only brave enough disciple to do it, <laughs> But yeah, we criticize him after he falls. But he gets out of the boat and he's walking on the water and only then does he see the, what he was really doing, that he's walking on rough water and he doubts and he immediately begins to sink. And here's the thing that I, the, the picture here is that we don't see Jesus diving in to the water to save him. We see Jesus walking over to him on top of the water, reaching out a hand and pulling him up. And sometimes that's what we need to do with people too. We don't dive into the sin with them thinking that if we dive into the sin, we're going to be able to rescue them and we're both going to swim over to the boat. No, Jesus stayed above the fray. But yet he reached down and he took Peter's hand and he pulled him up. He said, come on up where I'm at, Peter. And we need to do that in the love of Christ with people. We don't compromise ourselves to get into their sinful world thinking that when I get down to to be like them, now they're going to listen to me. Now, I don't think that's going to happen at all. If I start compromising with them and start getting at their level, they're going to say, yeah, I guess it doesn't really work for you either, does it? No, we need to stay above the fray, but yet we need to be not afraid to go out and touch them and be a part of them and to lift them up. James says this. Here's the brother of Jude, James, in James chapter 5. He says this in verse 19. He says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way 
will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The Living Bible says the same passage this way. Dear brothers, if anyone has slipped away from God and no longer trusts the Lord and someone helps him understand the truth again, that person who brings him back to God will have saved a wandering soul from death, bringing about the forgiveness of his many sins. Isn't there a great reward there? Think about that. We know that God loves them. And it's, we know that it's our job to lead them closer to God, but we need to trust the Holy Spirit to do the work in their heart. I'm also guilty of thinking that I'm the Holy Spirit sometimes, and I'm the one that can bring conviction. No, it's not my job. Not my job to bring conviction. My job is just to lead them to the truth and let the Holy Spirit bring the conviction. See, the definition of mercy is compassion, forgiveness, shown to someone to whom it's within one's power to punish or, just, or hurt them. Mercy says, I have the ability to, to hurt. I have the ability to punish. I have the ability to carry out the, the rule of law. But I also have, but mercy says I have compassion that I can forgive. Forgiveness never says what you did was right. Understand that. It just says I release you of the debt that now you owe me. Thank the Lord for mercy. Because if Jesus didn't show mercy on me, there is no way that I could pay the debt of my sin. So he says, okay, mercy says I release you from the debt, from having to pay that. Because the only way that I could pay it is to die. The only way that I could pay for my sin is to die and stay dead and be punished. But Jesus says, no, no, I took that death for you. I took that punishment for you. Now my mercy says that you don't have to go through it because I already did. So that's what we need to do. We need to put, we need to put ourselves in, in someone else's shoes for a minute. Maybe when you run across that person, whoever that is, maybe it's a family member Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's an acquaintance. Think about this. What, put yourself in their situation. What would it take for you, <coughs> excuse me, what would it take for you to be convinced of the sin that they're in to come to Jesus? What would it take for you? How, how would you want a person to come to you if you're in this situation that they're in, if they are blinded or in bondage to a particular sin or a habit or a lifestyle, whatever it is, if that was you, what would it take for someone to help you see the light in a way that would want you to get to the light? Think about that. I, I can't give you the answer. That's a very personal, uh, a very personal question, and I think that that's called empathy. That's called, that's called seeing the problems that they're in and then seeing it from Je through Jesus' eyes as to how we can be that person that can lead them back to truth. And it's probably not a hammer. <laughs> it's probably another tool in your toolbox of mercy and grace. Jude says in Jude 23, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment 
Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. The hating the sin part, this is interesting because, you know, the old saying is loving people and hating sin. You know, that's said a lot. But do we really understand what that means? Loving people. But hating sin. Well, God hates sin. And we're to hate what God hates. And we're to love what God loves. But it's difficult for us sometimes to separate the person from the sin. And we have to be careful how we do that. No, we don't compromise with the sin. We don't say that the sin's okay to play with it a little bit longer. No, no, we we, we want them to stay away from the sin, clearly, because we're to be very careful because we could become contaminated ourselves. But I think it comes in a true walk of humility and a level of confidence that we have with the Lord that we can allow the Holy Spirit to help us say the right words at the right times in the right context to the right people in the way that they're ready to hear it so that we can help them understand the situation they're in, understand the fact that they are lost, they're on their way to hell and destruction, and we have to say that, but we have to say it in a way that they don't want to go there. Not to say that, say it in a way that they wish we would go there. <laughs> because maybe sometimes we, we exasperate the problem in our approach. But we're to love God, as Micah says. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. That God has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what, is, what we're to do. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I think when we show people that's what we're doing, I think that's something that people want. That when I can walk in a way that I'm just, I'm merciful, and I'm humble. I think there's something attractive about that. And I think that is what people will be attracted to in your life when we can do it that way. So let's finish up here. Jude 24 and 25. This is the doxology part. Now all glory to God who was able to keep you from falling away will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence. Without a single fault. We're going to come back to that. All glory to him who alone is our God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Do you see how Jude is placing God outside of our global, our little snow bubble that we're in, that beginning and an end? God, Jude says, no, God was before that. He's in it and he's in the future. All glory to God. That's a great promise of our future. But without a single fault, what does that mean? Because I have lots of faults. But yet God is going to, we're going to be presented to him through the blood of Jesus without a single fault. That's beyond our comprehension, folks. That's beyond what we can even begin to think about. That we can come into the presence of the Most High, forgiven, without a single 
fault. Jackie, would you come, please, if you're able to? I know you're writing something down. But I think that when we can recognize the fact that we're going to come before the Lord perfect, not in ourself, but through Jesus Christ, that gives me the reason why I'm here today. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why are you sitting here listening? Why are you participating in the service today? Because at some point in time, we're going to be presented to the Father. Faultless. Think about that. That's the only way you're going to get in. Because if you're doing it any other way, you're doing it through yourself. And when you do it through yourself, there's all kinds of faults. And that, therefore, you will never get into the kingdom of God. It's only through a surrendering of our lives that we come and say, Jesus, forgive me that this doxology that you gives is for us as a presented without a single fault. Is that your prayer this morning? Is that where you're at this morning? Is that what you're seeking after today? Because if you are, you're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. You're on the right road. If that's your desire, you're on the right, right road. That one day we're all going to be presented together, faultless. That I can look at you and you can look at me and you can say, oh, that's what you look like. <laughs> that's what you look like without a fault. I've never seen that before. <laughs> but I see it now. That's the grace of God. That's the mercy of God. That's what it's all about today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your mercies and your grace. I thank you, Lord, that someday we will be presented into the kingdom without a single fault. Lord, that just kind of blows my mind. I just can't even quite comprehend that what that's going to be like because we're so used to seeing our faults. We're so used to seeing our failures that we think we're unworthy to come into your presence. And it's only through the blood of Jesus that not just covers us but changes us. The grace of Jesus changes us. The Holy Spirit's power changes us. We're faultless. So, Father, I just pray that you would encourage us today as we finalize this message and we go out into the world that we live in, that we can be that message bearer of good news, that we can put away a false pretense. We can put away anything that wouldn't glorify you. And that we can look forward to that day as we're helping others as well. I do pray, Father, that you would just give us a divine appointment. I pray for everybody in this church, everyone listening today, that they would understand that there's a day coming and people that we're going to meet in our days that are appointed to us to help lead them back into relationship with you. And I pray, God, that we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit's power to do that. Strengthen us. Give us your grace. Give us your mercy. Give us your love for people. 
that we can be effective in the kingdom today. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be blessed today. Go out and enjoy the 4th of July today and enjoy and celebrate with your friends and your family. And just know that Jesus is for us. Amen? Amen. Have a great day. Be blessed.